Chapter 14 of The Innocents Abroad by Mark Twain. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. We went to see the Cathedral of Notre Dame. We'd heard of it before. It surprises me sometimes to think how much we do know and how intelligent we are. We recognized the brown old Gothic pile in a moment. It was like the pictures. We stood at a little distance and changed from one point of observation to another and gazed long at its lofty square towers and its rich front, clustered thick with stony, mutilated saints who had been looking calmly down from their perches for ages. The patriarch of Jerusalem stood under them in the old days of chivalry and romance and preached the third crusade more than six hundred years ago and since that day they have stood there and looked quietly down upon the most thrilling scenes the grandest pageants the most extraordinary spectacles that have grieved or delighted paris these battered and broken-nosed old fellows saw many and many a cavalcade of mail-clad knights come marching home from holy land they heard the bells above them toll the signal for the st bartholomew's massacre they saw the slaughter that followed later they saw the reign of terror the carnage of the revolution the overthrow of a king the coronation of two napoleons the christening of the young prince that lords it over the regiment of servants in the tulares today and they may possibly continue to stand there until they see the napoleon dynasty swept away and the banners of a great republic floating above its ruins i wish these old parties could speak they could tell a tale worth listening to they say that a pagan temple stood where notre dame now stands in the old roman days eighteen or twenty centuries ago remains of it are still preserved in paris and that a christian church took its place about eighty three hundred another took the place of that in eighty five hundred and that the foundations of the present cathedral were laid about eighty eleven hundred the ground ought to be measurably sacred by this time one would think one portion of this noble old edifice is suggestive of the quaint fashions of ancient times it was built by jean saint pur duke of burgundy to set his conscience at rest he had assassinated the duke of orleans alas those good old times are gone when a murderer could wipe the stain from his name and soothe his troubles to sleep simply by getting out his bricks and mortar and building an addition to a church the portals of the great western front are bisected by square pillars they took the central one away in eighteen fifty two on the occasion of thanksgivings for the reinstitution of the presidential power but precious soon they had occasion to reconsider that motion and put it back again and they did we loitered through the grand aisles for an hour or two staring up at the rich stained-glass windows 
embellished with blue and yellow and crimson saints and martyrs, and trying to admire the numberless great pictures in the chapels. And then we were admitted to the sacristy and shown the magnificent robes which the Pope wore when he crowned Napoleon I. A wagon load of solid gold and silver utensils used in the great public processions and ceremonies of the church, some nails of the true cross, a fragment of the cross itself, a part of the crown of thorns. We had already seen a large piece of the true cross in the church in the Azores, but no nails. They showed us likewise the bloody robe which the Archbishop of Paris wore, who exposed his sacred person and braved the wrath of the insurgents of 1848 to mount the barricades and hold aloft the olive branch of peace in the hope of stopping the slaughter. His noble effort cost him his life. He, he was shot dead. They showed us a cast of his face taken after death, the bullet that killed him, and the two vertebrae in which it lodged. These people have a somewhat singular taste in the matter of relics. Ferguson told us that the silver cross which the good archbishop wore at his girdle was seized and thrown into the sign, where it lay embedded in the mud for fifteen years, and then an angel appeared to a priest, told him where to die for it. He did die for it and got it. Now it is there on exhibition at Notre Dame to be inspected by anybody who feels an interest in inanimate objects of miraculous intervention. Next we went to visit the morgue, that horrible receptacle for the dead who die mysteriously and leave the manner of their taken off a dismal secret. We stood before a grating and looked through into a room which was all hung about with the clothing of dead men coarse blouses, water-soaked, the delicate garments of women and children, patrician vestments, hacked and stabbed and stained with red, a hat that was crushed and bloody. On a slanting stone lay a drowned man, naked, swollen, purple, clasping the fragment of a broken bush in a, with a death-grip that so petrified the human strength could not unloose it mute witness of the last despairing effort to save the life that was doomed beyond all help. A stream of water trickled ceaselessly over the hideous face. We knew that the body and the clothing were there for identification by friends, but still we wondered if anybody could love that repulsive object or grieve for its loss. We grew meditative and wondered if some forty years ago, when the mother of that ghastly thing was dandling it upon her knee and kissing it and petting it and displaying it with satisfied pride to the passers-by, a prophetic vision of this dread ending ever flitted through her brain. I half feared that the mother or the wife or the brother of the dead man might come while we stood there, but nothing of the kind occurred. Men and women came. Some looked eagerly in and pressed their faces against the bars. Others glanced carelessly at the body and turned away with a disappointed look. People, I thought, who live by, upon strong excitements and who attend the exhibitions of the morgue regularly, 
just as other people go to see theatrical spectacles every night. When one of these looked in and passed on, I could not help thinking, now this don't afford you any satisfaction. The party with his head shot off is what you need. One night we went to the celebrated Jardin Mabille, only, but only stayed a little while. We wanted to see some of this kind of Paris life. However, and therefore with next night we went to a similar place of entertainment, in a great garden in the suburb of Asneris. We went to the railroad depot toward evening, and Ferguson got tickets for a second-class carriage. Such a perfect jam of people I have not often seen, but there was no noise, no disorder, no rowdyism. Some of the women and young girls that entered the train we knew to be of the demi-monde, but others we were not at all sure about. The girls and women in our carriage behaved themselves modestly and becomingly all the way out, except that they smoked. When we arrived at the garden of Asneris, we paid a franc or two admission and entered a place that had flower beds in it and grass plots and long, curving rows of ornamental shrubbery and here and there a secluded bower convenient for eating ice cream in. We moved along the sinuous gravel walks with a great concourse of girls and young men and suddenly a domed and filigreed white temple starred over and over and over again with brilliant gas jets burst upon us like a fallen sun nearby was a large handsome house with its ample front illuminated in the same way and above its roof floated the star-spangled banner of america well i said how is this it nearly took my breath away Ferguson said an American, a New Yorker, kept the place and was carrying on quite a stirring opposition to the Jardin Mabille. Crowds composed of both sexes and nearly all ages were frisking about the garden or sitting in the open air in front of the flagstaff and the temple, drinking wine and coffee or smoking. The dancing had not yet begun. Ferguson said there was to be an exhibition. The famous Blondin was going to perform on a tightrope in another part of the garden. We went thither. Here the light was dim, and the masses of people were pretty closely packed together. And now I made a mistake which any donkey might make, but a sensible man never. I committed an error which I find myself repeating every day of my life, standing right before a young lady, I said, Dan, just look at this girl, how beautiful she is. I thank you more for the evident sincerity of the compliments, sir, than for the extraordinary publicity you have given to it, this in good, pure English. We took a walk, but my spirits were very, very sadly dampened. I did not feel right comfortable for a time afterward. Why will people be so stupid as to suppose themselves the only foreigners among a crowd of ten thousand persons? But Blondin came out shortly. He appeared on a stretched cable, 
far away above the sea of tossing hats and handkerchiefs and in the glare of a hundreds of rockets that whizzed heavenward by him he looked like a wee insect he balanced his pole and walked the length of his rope two or three hundred feet he came back and got a man and carried him across he returned to the center and danced a jig next he performed some gymnastic and balancing feats too perilous to afford a pleasant spectacle and he finished by fastening to his person a thousand roman candles catherine wheels serpents and rockets of all manner of brilliant colors setting them on fire all at once and walking and waltzing across his rope again in a blinding blaze of glory that lit up the garden and the people's faces like a great conflagration at midnight the dance had begun we adjourned to the temple within it was a drinking saloon and all around it was a broad circular platform for the dancers i backed up against the wall of the temple and waited twenty sets formed the music struck up and then i placed my hands before my face for very shame but i looked through my fingers they were dancing the renowned can-can a handsome girl in the set before me tripped forward lightly to meet the opposite gentleman tripped back again grasped her dresses vigorously on both sides with her hands raised them pretty high danced an extraordinary jig that had more activity and exposure about it than any jig i ever saw before and then drawing her clothes still higher she advanced gaily to the center launched a vicious kick full at her vis-a-vis -vis that must infallibly have removed his nose if he'd been seven feet high it was a mercy he was only six that is the can-can the idea of it is to dance as wildly as noisily as furiously as you can expose yourself as much as possible if you were a woman and kick as high as you can no matter what sex you belong to there is no word of exaggeration in this any of the staid respectable aged people who were there that night can testify to the truth of that statement there were a good many such people present i suppose french morality is not that straight-laced description which is shocked at trifles i moved aside and took a general view of the can-can shouts laughter furious music a bewildering chaos of darting and intermingling forms stormy jerking and snatching of gay dresses bobbing beads flying arms lightning flashes of white stocking calves and dainty slippers in the air and then a grand final rush riot a terrific hubbub and a wild stampede heavens nothing like it has been seen on earth since trembling tam o'shantner saw the devil and the witches at their orgies that stormy night in holloway's old haunted kirk we visited the louvre at a time when we had no silk purchases to view and looked at it miles of paintings by the old masters some of them were beautiful but at the same time they carried such evidences about them of the cringing spirit of those great men that we 
found small pleasure in examining them. Their nauseous adulation of princely patrons was more prominent to me and chained my attention more surely than the charms of color and expression which are claimed to be in the pictures. Gratitude for kindnesses as well, but it seems to me that some of those artists carried it so far that it ceased to be gratitude and became worship. If there is a plausible excuse for the worship of men, then by all means let us forgive Rubens and his brethren. But I will drop the subject, lest I say something about the old masters that might as well be left unsaid. Of course we drove in the Bois de Boulogne, that endless park with its forests, its lakes, its cascades, and its broad avenues. There were thousands upon thousands of vehicles abroad, and the scene was full of life and gaiety. There were very common hacks with father and mother and all the children in them, conspicuous little open carriages with celebrated ladies of questionable reputation in them. There were dukes and duchesses abroad with gorgeous footmen perched behind and equally gorgeous outriders perched on each of the six horses. There were blue and silver and green and gold and pink and black and all sorts and descriptions of stunning and startling liveries out and I almost yearned to be a flunky myself for the sake of the fine clothes. But presently the emperor came along, and he outshone them all. He was preceded by a bodyguard of gentlemen on horseback in showy uniforms. His carriage horses, there appeared to be somewhere in the remote neighborhood of a thousand of them, were bestridden by gallant-looking fellows, also in stylish uniforms and after the carriage followed another detachment of bodyguards. Everybody got out of the way, everybody bowed to the emperor and his friend the sultan, and they went by on a swinging trot and disappeared. I will not describe the boys the balloon, I cannot do it. It's simply a beautiful, cultivated, endless, wonderful wilderness. It is an enchanting place. It is in Paris now, one may say, but a crumbling old cross in one portion of it reminds one that it was not always so. The cross marks the spot where a celebrated troubadour was waylaid and murdered in the 14th century. It was in this park that that fellow with an unpronounceable name made the attempt upon the Russian Tsar's life last spring with a pistol. The bullet struck a tree. Ferguson showed us the place. Now in America that interesting tree would be chopped down or forgotten within the next five years, but it will be treasured here. The guides will point it out to visitors for the next eight hundred years, and when it decays and falls down, they will put up another there and go on with the same old story, just the same. End of chapter 14, recording by B. Scott Holmes, bscotthomes.com.